But today I'm going to start a whole new sermon series for the next nine weeks. Uh, and the title of the series is What We Believe and Why. Uh, and God has laid this on my heart as I believe it's important to stress the elements, the foundational elements of Christianity. What is it that we believe? What do we believe individually as Christians? What do we believe as a church? You need to know this as you go out and speak to a lost world. And so for the next nine weeks, today I'll do the introduction, but for the next nine weeks we're going to talk about subjects such as God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, angels, Satan, eternal security, all of the foundational predicates of our faith. I want you to know that. I want you to understand it. I want you to be able to deliver it to a lost world. Uh, now, this sermon series, I believe, is important to us individually and to our church as well. Over the years, I've seen so many Christians have an improper understanding, really, of Christian theology. And statistics, you see, bear this out. A recent Gallup poll found that half of Americans, half of Americans who describe themselves as Christians do not believe in the existence of Satan. Can you imagine? They do not believe in the existence of Satan. Well, let me break it to you. Jesus did, all right? And if Jesus did, then we have a responsibility to understand that. Further, fully one-third of so-called believing Christians uh, believe that Jesus sinned while he was on the earth, that he sinned. Well, the Bible clearly teaches otherwise. Uh, and what kind of savior do you have if your savior sinned? Uh, and so this becomes important to understand this. And so the pollster concluded importantly, he said, growing number of people now serve as their own theologian in residence. One consequence of this is that Americans are embracing an unpredictable and contradictory body of beliefs. You have become your own theologians, all right? You're not listening to what the Bible says. You have created a false theology. And so we need to address this issue. I need to equip you so that you can go out in the world and bring this message to people who are lost in this uh, idiocy. Uh, now, God does not expect you to check your brains at the door. You understand? Uh, Christianity is reasonable and logical, and it makes sense. And over the next nine weeks, I intend to give you the evidence that supports this uh, so that you understand when you choose to follow Christ, it makes every bit of sense. Look what God said in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And I love this passage. He said, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wood, wool. Another translation says, come, sit down, let's argue this out. In other words, God wants you to understand it. He wants to have you deal with it. He'll answer your questions. You ask him and he'll speak to you. It's, a, it's very clear. God is saying, let's get this right. Let's get this straightened out in your mind. 
You need to understand these things. You need to understand them in your head and ultimately in your heart. You need to act biblically. You see, so many people today, when it comes to religion, are dealing totally in emotion, in emotion. And so they're emoting when they effectively relate to God. But God wants something deeper than that. God is not just interested in what you're feeling. He wants to understand that you're thinking it through and that you understand the thought process. You know, the all-time classic line uh, in this type of thinking is the following. I am not into organized religion, but I consider myself a spiritual person. Are you kidding me? Where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? There it is, your self-styled theology. Uh, and so you need to think carefully about these things. You need to understand your Bible and understand Christianity. Uh, and when you study God, you will see that his principles are changeless. This is what theology is all about. Look what Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Isn't that interesting? Watch your life and your doctrine closely. That's our responsibility. Be careful as you walk with God to be walking within his will, but at the same time, be knowledgeable about his doctrine. And so if you are following a Jesus who sinned while he's on this earth, well, what kind of savior is that? Uh, if that Jesus, if that's the Jesus, if you are following, well, let me break it to you, then effectively you are an idolater, really, worshiping another kind of God, and you need to be aware of that. We want to make certain that we are worshiping God as he defined himself to us, as he did that in the pages of the Bible. Uh, nothing deforms God more, really, than an unworthy conception of God. And that's what we're going to present over these next nine weeks. In Acts 28, a great example of this is the Apostle Paul, who was a passenger on a ship uh, caught in a hurricane. There were more than 200 passengers on that ship. And it was a horrendous hurricane. And Paul was taking the ship to go back to Rome. Uh, where God wanted him to be. There was no one on board on that stormy day that thought they would survive those heavy seas. But then the Lord came to Paul himself at night and personally told him that there he would have a safe arrival in Rome. And so the next morning, shouting over the howling winds, Paul said these words, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. That's the kind of faith and knowledge that God wants you to have. That even as you're going through storm-tossed seas, he's with you, and as he sustains you, and you give yourself to him, you know that he has your life in his hands. And so we all live 
in a storm-tossed world. How can you not get up in the morning without understanding that? You see what's going on all over the world, and our hearts are burdened, burdened heavily by what we see uh, going on in Israel. And we understand it that Satan is in charge of this world. And one day, God will change all that. But our God never changes. Everything else will change, but God will never change us. Look what he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, where he says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. He's there forever, immutable with you, and you need to understand that. Believing in God may not change your circumstances, but let me break it to you. It will change you as you will understand the circumstances that you're going through in your life. And so we have to learn not to mold God in our image. God is not like you. I hate to break that to you, but I have to. God is not like you. And so if you're worshiping a God that you think has the same characteristics that you do, you're certainly mistaken. Let's start with the Bible And the very first verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God. Dot, dot, dot. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you. Not in the beginning, us. Not in the beginning, humanity. But in the beginning, God. You see, the Bible does not tell us where God came from. It simply tells us, that he is, that he pre-existed. The truth is that God always existed. You understand? We're confounding ourselves with time, but God invented time because time is irrelevant to God. You see, when God looks down on this world, he sees the beginning of time and the end of time as one parade, and he sees it all. He did not come from something else. He always existed. He was never invented. He was never created. He has always been there. God has no beginning, nor does he have an end. It is simple as that. And there it is. You need to understand that. You need to have faith to accept that. And that's the nature of who he is. Now, one day, you will fully comprehend who God is, not really while you're here on this earth, Uh, One day you will understand everything about God because the Bible tells you that in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. There it is. One day God will reveal himself to you when you're on the other side. You will have a complete picture of who he is, and you'll understand it. And so while we may not fully comprehend God, we can know God, because that's what faith does for us. In fact, knowing God, knowing him in a personal way is the very essence of being a Christian. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3. He said as follows, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There it is. That's the essence of eternal life, knowing God, 
knowing Jesus, believing on who they are. It's that simple. When you do that, you have eternal life. When you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Paul uh, reiterated this uh, very clearly when he said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, become, becoming like him in his death. Can you imagine? He wanted to participate in the sufferings of Christ, and that's what we have. When we join with Christ, we are attached to his body. We're there on the cross with him. Yes, we suffer just as he suffered, but that is the will of God as he saves you and creates you and makes you more like him every day of your life. Yes, that's what knowing Christ is all about. Um, this is why we are on this earth, to know God. Uh, and so as you know God and begin to know God, you need to drill down on some of the important foundational principles about God. First, God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything about everybody in the entire universe. He is also omnipresent. What does that mean? It means that God is there everywhere at the same time. There's no place anywhere in the universe that can be where it is without the presence of God. That's the difference between God and Satan. Satan cannot do that. He can only be in one place at a time. But God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. God is also omnipotent. Omnipotent, meaning he has unlimited power. There is nothing that God cannot do. Look, he created the universe. And so you have to understand that. He has unlimited power. Look at Psalm 139, verse 9, which speaks really to these issues. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. This is unbelievably impressive. This gives you the insight of what foreknowledge is about God. And I told you this, that when you were created, God held your molecular structure in his hands. And because he is God, and because of his foreknowledge, as it's written there in the Psalms, he knew exactly what you would do with your life. He knew exactly what you would do with him. He knew exactly if you would follow him. He also knew exactly if you would reject him. He knew it all. He knows the words you're going to say before your lips even form it. How about that? When you think about the things that you may have said, or the thoughts that you may have. He knows every single thing about you, about where you were, about where you are, and about where you are going. He knows it all. That's the nature of your God. Uh, and so from this and other verses, we learn that God's knowledge is as infinite and eternal uh, in every possible way as he is. What God knows now, he has always known and will always know. That's the Alpha and the Omega. That's the kind of God that you worship. He knows everything about every 
atom in the universe. How about that? There's not a particle of matter anywhere in the universe that he doesn't understand or know about. Look at Psalm 147, verse 4. It says something even more amazing there. It says of God, uh, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Now, one of the amazing things about science is that they're always creating more powerful telescopes. Uh, you know, we had the Hubble telescope that was launched uh, some years ago into space so they could get a greater picture of the universe. Well, what do they find? Does the universe have an end? No. Every time they get a, a more powerful telescope, what do they find? More stars. More stars. Millions upon millions of stars and galaxies, far more than we ever had. And what does Psalm 147 tells you? That God knows every one of those stars by name because he created them and he has named them. And let me assure you, he knows just as much about you. That is your God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 30, where he said, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. The hair on your head, each individual hair is numbered by God. And you think God doesn't care about you? That God doesn't know you? Uh, the God who created the universe loves you and cares about you in the most intimate way. Uh, whatever concerns you have, God is even more concerned. Look at Psalm 56, verse 8. I love this psalm. I love this verse. It says about God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Can you imagine the Jesus that came to the tomb of Lazarus and wept is the God who loves you and cares about your sorrows. He knows what your pain is. He knows what your grief is. He knows what you're sorrowing about. And his, your tears are being collected uh, metaphorically in a bottle by God. He won't forget you. He knows that you're hurting, but he knows that he has a greater plan for you. And that whatever you've gone through, it is within the perfect will of God. And so this means that whatever you are facing now, uh, the Lord knows about it and cares about it and walks with you. And so let me assure you, uh, as we begin this series, if you have made sacrifices for God, working for his kingdom, giving financially, serving him in some way, shape, or form, he is fully aware of it. Amen, church? And you will be rewarded for it. He sees you. He knows you. He sees what you're doing, and he will reward you. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Listen, we're not working to work our way into salvation. We don't work to step into heaven. We have been given that as a free gift of God. You are saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. If somebody asks you, are you going to heaven, don't hesitate. You don't hesitate because it's not from you. You tell them immediately, yes, 
Yes, I'm going. Now, God will still reward you because that's how your God is. And when you get there, you'll sit down with God, and he'll talk to you about what you did for the kingdom. It's important. And if I've done my job right, you should be prepared for that day. Uh, And so God is not only aware of what concerns you, he's also concerned of the evil that is being done in our world today. Make no mistake about it. The evildoers will be punished. There's a guarantee. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 3, where it says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and good. He's everywhere, watching everything, keeping eyes on the wicked and the good. You don't escape God. There's no place you can go to escape God. And so in God, there is no past, present, or future. It is one continuous parade. He sees the beginning and the end of time as one parade on a continuing basis. That is why he's aware of everything. That is why the Bible, you see, is the one book that can continue to predict the future in hundreds of ways. And you see it now, even today, where the things that the Bible has prophesied are coming true. That is because God wrote the Bible, and God is omniscient. There's no magic in it. Uh, Many of the world events that are being described today are described in the pages of Scripture, thousands of years before they took place. Nothing will ever slip the mind of God. Understand also what it means to be omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. Look at Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. How about that? Do you think that when you're in darkness, God doesn't see you? Do you think that that's a place where God is not located? Here, the the, the psalm is so profound. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day to you, for darkness is as light to you. That's your God. You can't hide from God. Don't think that you can stay home from the church and that God doesn't see it. He sees you. He knows where you are. So let me assure you, better to be here. Better to be here. Because when he runs the videotape of your life, and he will, you understand that, you want to show him that you were in your seat every Sunday. All right? All right? Not goofing off, but in your seat every Sunday. He sees that. He knows your heart. He knows the struggles. He understands. So these words I'm giving you can be either comforting or frightening, depending on which side of the fence you're on. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus, they bring great comfort. He's with you. He will never leave you. He'll never let you be alone. Your Savior will be with you wherever you go. 
Uh, but no matter where you are struggling, God is with you. And I know there are a number of you that are struggling right now. I want to assure you, he's here. He walks with you. He loves you. He sees your grief. He sees your sorrow. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. The Lord declares, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus said it also, lo, in Matthew 28, verse 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the, of the age. Jesus walks with you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. God is with you. And what I love there in that passage is God is warning us, don't be subdued by the love of money. Learn to be content with what God has given you. You understand? What does it mean? It means as you walk with God and you understand Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, where you are is where God has placed you. And as he has done that, he wants you to be content. And if you need something else, he'll give it to you when he determines that you need it, not that you want it. And let me separate my desires, Lord. Let me put my desires with you so that you give me what I need, not necessarily what I want. Perhaps one of the most profound passages in Scripture uh, on this very issue that we're talking about, about the presence of God with us, is found in Isaiah 43, verse 2. And this passage is written 700 years before Jesus would be born. And look what it says there. Uh, and this was a passage given to the Jewish people. And I wonder how many of them know this passage. And I wonder how many of them have thought about this passage. I wonder how many of the rabbis have taught this passage. But I'm going to teach it to you now because it is profound. And it says there in Isaiah 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And then when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. You understand the greatness of God? I walk with you. Yes, you're going to go through rivers. Yes, you're going to go through fires, but I will be with you. I will protect you. I will hold your soul. I will give your eternal life for me in every possible way. You need to have that. Put it on your refrigerator and understand how great this promise is. God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. The fact that God is all-powerful does not mean that God will do something foolish wrong or sinful. God is also righteous, good, and holy, and he will not do anything to contradict his nature. God cannot lie, and God cannot die. So omnipotence means God has infinite power that can never be depleted or exhausted. God's resources are never exhausted. His power is undiminished in every possible way. There is nothing more constant in the universe 
than the ongoing power of God. And so if there's something that God determines that you need, get on your knees and ask him, and God will deliver it, if it is within his perfect will. The simple issue and facts are that your requirements are never a drain on God. How can the creator of the universe, really, the creator of the universe be drained? It's impossible. Uh, You would never need more than God could supply. Look what Ephesians 3, verse 20 says on this issue. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, work, that is at work within us. Ephesians 3.20. He who can give us even more than we can possibly imagine. You can't unplug him. You can't out-ask him. He is there to give you everything that you need. Look, maybe you are overwhelmed by tragedy or, or grief or sorrow or possibly confusion. It might be an addiction of some sort that has grown so powerful on you that it has turned you into having a lifestyle that you feel has enslaved you. I don't care what it is. You need to know that God today is here to help you, is here to heal you, is here to lift you up, is here to affirm you. He's waiting for you to call out to him. He is available for you today to meet every possible need that you have. And so as we go forward with this sermon series over the next eight weeks, we need to be mindful uh, of the importance of faith. I'm going to deliver to you the foundational aspects of what we stand for as Christians and as a church. But it is all bound up by faith. Uh, We are not speaking about a blind leap of faith. This is no blind leap of faith. Rather, even if the evidence that I give you cannot be measured in a laboratory, they have to be understood spiritually. That is what we focus on as Christians. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible. Faith is what guides us to a greater view of God and Christ. Faith is needed for what we cannot touch or see. And it's needed as we go through this sermon series. Faith does not contradict reason, though it may go beyond reason. While someone might believe that the Bible is an amazing book of literature, it is only through faith that we know that the Bible is the unmitigated word of God. It is immutable. It never changes. It is God speaking to us from eternity in every way. Now, my prayer is that in the coming weeks that your faith will be strengthened and grow in every way through this series. By faith, we understand that we did not see the act of creation. We only know of it by faith. We also know by reason, by our minds, that the world was created by an intelligent designer. You don't expect an explosion to happen in your backyard. And when you go out, you find a Rolex watch. (laughs) How ridiculous is that? Use your mind. Use your brain. And understand 
that an intelligent designer, the likes of which the universe has never seen, was responsible for it all. And so our faith must be a critical part of this ensuing sermon series. Having a life of faith involves being convinced that what the Bible says about God and about Jesus Christ is fully accurate. Christian faith is certainly belief, uh, but it must be more than just mere belief. Uh, It is to be lived. God wants you to take that faith and take what you understand, and he wants you to live it. He wants you to walk around with it, to have it evidenced in your heart so that the lost world can see it. He wants to see it in every aspect of your performance. The will of God uh, must be done by loving God uh, and loving one's neighbor as oneself. God is in the process of creating new people who can live this way. Let us, let us, dear Lord, let us be those people. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the words that you have given us. I thank you, Father, for explaining to us exactly what you are about and how this world is created. And now, Lord, I ask you that you bind it up with faith as we spend the next eight weeks diving deep in the theology of you, Father, and who you are and who Jesus is as we come to a greater understanding, a greater understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. Amen.